0: Well, beloved of God, the church called Bethesda. Today, we begin a brand new series. If you want to, Michael, if you want to click that first slide there. Today, we begin a brand new series um, for our new year, and it will continue. Let me try this one more time. There we go. A brand new series. It's a seven-week series that will bring us right up to World Evangelism Sunday, and then it will include this a beautiful event called The Night to Shine. It launches an invitation, really, for you and me to participate in the plans and purposes that our Heavenly Father has on His heart. And that is to connect people who do not yet know Jesus to the one that we worship and we sing about. We'll have uh, J-term classes and at 940 all this month, as well as our family journey will also be interacting with this this series as well, too. We want to encourage you to buy a book and to follow along. This book is available at the Welcome Center. It's called Joining Jesus on His Mission, How to Be an Everyday Missionary. And the actually, the author himself, Greg Finke, will be with us in two weeks. Now, if you have heard this, you might be thinking to yourself, oh great, I know where this is going. This is an evangelism series. uh, How to Share Your Faith. And you might be thinking, I'm not good at it. I don't even know what to say. Uh, uh, It's totally not me. I'm not an extrovert. I'm not outgoing, maybe like you are, Pastor Kirk. I'm for it, but that's not my gift. Let me just invite you to hear a true story of what this series isn't about. Sometimes understanding something is best by understanding what it isn't about. It's not about your efforts, or your expertise, or getting it right, whatever right might look like, and this true story is not the way to do it. Let me introduce you this story by introducing you to the author. That is Eugene Peterson. He was a Presbyterian pastor. He wrote over 30 books. He passed away about six years ago. He's probably most well-known for writing the paraphrase that many of us enjoy, and have been encouraged by, called The Message. Before he passed away, he wrote a book entitled, The Pastor, a Memoir. It was his story of how he became a pastor. It was very, very interesting and fun to read about. Um, Eugene grew up in Montana. And so in chapter five of his book, he introduces us to Garrison Johns, a young boy who he met and knew growing up. And this is his story, and this is not the way to join Jesus on his mission. He said, "About third grade, entering first, and me entering after the third day, after entering first grade, Garrison Johns discovered me and took me on as his project for the year. He gave me a working knowledge of what, 25 years later, Christian author Richard Newberg would give me more sophisticated understanding of the tension between Christ and the culture. I had been taught in Sunday school not to fight, and so had never learned to use my fist." I had been prepared for a wider world of neighborhood and school by memorizing, bless those who bless you, turn the other cheek. I don't know how Garrison Johns knew about me, some sixth sense that bullies have, I suppose, but he picked me for his sport. Most afternoons after school, he would catch me and beat me up. He also found that I was a Christian and taunted me with Jesus sissy. I tried finding alternate ways home by making detours through alleys, but he stalked me and he always found me. I arrived home most afternoons, bruised and humiliated, and my mother told me this had always been the way of Christians in the world and that I'd better get used to it. I was supposed to pray for him. The Bible verses I had memorized, bless and turn, began to get tiresome. Now I loved going to school. I was learning a lot, finding new friends, adoring my teacher, and the classroom was a wonderful place, but after the dismissal bell, Each day, I had to face Garrison Johns and get my first-grade daily beatings that I was supposed to assimilate as my blessing. Well, March came. I remember it was March by the weather. This is Montana. The winter snow was melting, but there were still patches of it here and there, and the days were getting longer. I was no longer walking home in the late afternoon dark, and then something unexpected happened. I was with my neighborhood friends as a first-grader, seven or eight of them, when Garrison caught up with us and started in on me jabbing and taunting and working himself up with the main event. He had an audience and that helped. Garrison always did better with an audience. Then it happened. Totally uncalculated. Totally out of my character. Something snapped within me. For just a moment, the Bible verses disappeared from my consciousness and I grabbed Garrison. To my surprise and his, I realized I was stronger than he was. I wrestled him to the ground, sat him on his chest, and pinned his arms to the ground with my knees. I couldn't believe it. He was helpless under me. At my mercy, it was too good to be true. I hit him in the face with my fists. It felt good. And I hit him again. Blood spurted from his nose. A lovely crimson on the snow. By this time, all the other children were cheering me on, egging me on, "Blacken his eye, bust his teeth, a torrent of biblical invectives poured from them though nothing compared with what I would later read about in the book of Psalms. I said to Garrison, say uncle, he wouldn't say it. I hit him again, more blood, more cheering. Now my audience was bringing out the best of me. And then my Christian training asserted itself. I said, I say believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and savior. (laughs) He wouldn't say it. I hit him again, more blood. I tried again, say I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and he said it. Garrison Johns was my first Christian <laughs> convert. I love it! <laughs> I told my friend Mark, Mark, this is not what the series is about. Isn't that great? I'm not endorsing that. We don't save people. Only Jesus can do that, okay? Even as a pastor when I preach, I can't change people's hearts. That's the Holy Spirit's role. We pray for open doors, we pray for open ears, and we pray for obedience as God leads. Of course, my job is to prepare well and to be as clear and on point as I possibly can. But I pray daily that people's ears would hear and that you would change hearts. So the question we ask as we begin this series is, Jesus, what are you up to? Jesus, what are you up to? We are joining Jesus on his mission, and we are joining with him, not as opposed to working for him. Notice the con- that, that twist and, that, and that, just that clarification. We're joining with him as opposed to working for him. You've heard me talk about this before in Mark chapter 1 verse 15. Let's just take a look at that verse real quick. It says this. Jesus is at the beginning of his ministry and he says, "The time has come and the kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe." The word time has two different words in the Bible. One is chronos time. That's a Greek word, chronos. It means set in a date and a time and chronology. Think of all the ways that we have date and time important events, birthdays, graduations, anniversaries, championships, death, businesses and stores opening up. that 's one way of time. that 's not the way that jesus that 's not the word that Jesus used in Mark chapter one, verse fifteen. He chose a different word, and the word that he used in this verse is the word kairos, K-A-I-R-O-S. And it literally means a season or a window of opportunity or this, a favorable moment. Isn't that good? Now think about all the seasons that there are. We just finished deer hunting season and now we're in ice fishing season. And our students are involved with basketball season and hockey season. And we just got done with another season, didn't we? The Christmas season. The word Advent, and this just, I was just so impacted this year as we thought about Advent. I'd always looked at the Advent wreath, and I thought, oh yeah, there's four candles, because that's like the countdown for Christmas. Like three weeks before Christmas, and two weeks before Christmas, and one week before Christmas. And I haven't gotten all my Christmas shopping done week Christmas, Christmas. And it always focuses on Jesus coming. That's true. And that's what hit me this year. The word Advent means coming. And it's not just his first coming. It's his second coming. And the season that we're in right now in 2023 is called the season of the church. It's already but not yet. He is coming back again. Julie and I attended uh, the Thursday night monthly prayer meeting, the Pray for Bay, And I've mentioned this before. Greg Munson leads it. He does a great job. I have said this to him personally, and I will say it publicly. It's the best prayer meeting I've ever been in. He does such a great job. He had a, um, a quote at the beginning of our prayer time. It's the first Thursday of the month. You can come and join us. But he had a quote and I turned to Julie and I said, Sweetheart, you gotta write this down so we so we won't forget. It was this quote from Hudson Taylor, the missionary. It says, We work, when we work, we work. When we work, we work. When we pray, God works. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? John one fourteen, we hear this this verse often during Christmas season. And it's a wonderful season Uh, word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And Eugene Peterson from that fun story that I read to you in the message translation says, he moved into the neighborhood. He moved. God had an address. He took up residence. In driving to church this morning and getting ready for this message, and I was thinking through this, I thought, I wonder what Jesus' house looked like. Did he really do that? Did he really set up in the neighborhood? He did. In fact, Nathaniel, uh, one of the disciples said, "Can anything good come out of Nazareth in John 146?" That's a neighborhood question, isn't it? Isn't another neighborhood question what was said in Matthew chapter 13 verse 55, when he said, "Isn't this Joseph's son?" Like the carpenter's boy? Isn't that Mary's boy? And aren't his brothers boom, 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 boom? He set up neighborhood. He moved into the neighborhood. He even became a young man, an infant, at 12 years old. When Jesus, in Luke chapter 12, at 12 years old, Jesus is asking questions, and he's giving answers, and they're astonished because he's like a sixth grader wow, he moved into the neighborhood and he never left. What do we mean by that? Well, he sent his spirit. The the word that we, and and the song that we sing, nobody ever stops Karen playing the piano or the worship team when we sing, oh come, oh come, Emmanuel, and we never say, don't sing that anymore because it's not true. The word Emmanuel means God with us. It means we aren't alone. It means God is with us. My, I had the unique privilege of uh, doing a funeral this, this week for um, Linda Swenson and Mary's mom, Claire Shea. And as a pastor, uh, when you have the opportunity to do a funeral, it helps when you get a person's Bible. And they, they mark it up and you can read about their you get these little clues about their relationship with Jesus. It's pretty neat. I mean it's holy ground, okay? And uh, when I asked Linda, I said, Can I get your mom's Bible? And she had all these markings up, and one was unbelievable. Psalm forty-six. Psalm forty six. And this is Clara Shea talking. She she underlined this word from Psalm forty-six And it said this, there is a river whose streams bring joy to the city of God and the holy place where the Most High lives. And then verse 5 says this, and this is what Clara underlined. God is with her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Three pronouns. Her, she, she. And then Clara wrote this in her Bible. And this is what made the impact in my heart mom. This is the secret power. Christ in me. Wow! Wow! What is Jesus up to? He's on the loose. Jesus is moving in our neighborhoods. Let me explain that. Jesus made a major shift in one of his two most famous parables you could maybe argue that Jesus' two most important or popular or famous parables. I mean, I think it would be the prodigal son and the Good Samaritan, right? I mean, that'd have to make the short list for sure. And in the Good Samaritan, the story, the punchline is the hidden surprise of the word Samaritan. In Luke chapter 10, we read that an expert of the law was trying to justify himself. He's trying to justify himself. He's wanting to declare himself righteous or to look good or to defend his cause. That was his point. So who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells this incredible story about the good Samaritan, an expert of the law and then a scribe and then a Samaritan. And this is what's interesting about it. Jesus asked, who is a good neighbor? The response in Luke chapter 10, 37 is, the expert of the law can't even get, get himself to say the word Samaritan. He can't even say the word Samaritan. His response is, the one who showed mercy. Now, you know what's incredible about that is Jesus worked with what he said. He said, go and do li- likewise. He didn't call him out and say, why can't you say Samaritan? He worked with what he had. Go and do likewise. We learn as we walk through this, we will learn as we walk through this series that neighboring is a verb and it finds its context in terms of relationships and friendships. And Jesus shifts from Who is my neighbor to whom should I be a neighbor to today? You see the shift? Not who is my neighbor, but to whom should I neighbor today? Don't you wish you had a neighborhood filled with kindness and goodness and gentleness kind of people? Don't you wish you had a neighborhood like that? that when the sale for sale sign goes up on their lawn, you go, nuts! Why are you moving and Mr. Krabby Pants isn't? Or Mrs. Krabby Pants? You might be thinking uh, to yourself, I'm not the best Christian. How could God use someone like me? I was reading... Uh, this week, about five biblical resolutions, and the last one is this God uses, God smiles on even our smallest efforts. I was thinking about that. There was a little boy who offered Jesus his lunch, and the Lord met him and fed 5,000 people. Some people might blow that off and go, Oh, that is such a cute story. See, the Lord will just use anything. Isn't that sweet? But in a devotional reading that I was reading this week, something just jumped out at me that the Lord uses incredibly messy situations. You want to see a messy situation that's really awkward, kind of hard to preach on, but it's in the Bible, and you go, ooh, that's a relational mess. It's Genesis chapter 29. It's on page Number 25, you almost need a scorecard to figure out who belongs to who. Have you ever been in a church before where, oh, that guy is related to that person, and that person's related to that person, and that person's related to, you know what I'm talking about? You need a scorecard? You need a scorecard when you read Genesis 29. Here's the story. Jacob works for seven years to marry a beautiful young gal by name Rachel, and his father-in-law pulls a switcheroo bait and switch the night of his wedding. And he wakes up and it's not the girl he, wor- he worked so hard for. It's his oldest, It's her older sister. And so you follow this story and the older sister, the one that that was kind of thrown in, has four kids. Rachel doesn't have any kids. The one he loves doesn't have any kids. And then they, and then they give Jacob they're mistresses, and he has more kids with them. What in the world? Fast forward that messy story. Can you imagine having four wives? Ufta. And you say, that's messy. But this is what struck me. 700 years later, right before you get into the history books of the Bible there's this small account, this romantic love story between Ruth and Boaz. She ends up being the great-grandma of our brother, King David. And she marries Boaz. Beautiful story in the book of Ruth. And then her mother-in-law gives this blessing. And when I read it this week, again, you've heard me say this before. Have you ever read the Bible before? And you find a verse and you go, has that always been in there? Uh, Julie's so tired of me saying that. And I'll say, did you sneak in my office and put another verse in my Bible? No. This is what Naomi says in verse 411. We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. God used a messy, dysfunctional, sexually weird system and built the Old Testament church. Wow. God uses messy people. What is Jesus up to? He has given us a mission to join him with him. He is on the loose in our neighborhoods and he's using messy people like you and me Just like he's always done. To extend his name and fame. What's Jesus up to? Let me tell you the story of this little girl. Her name is Baby Lily. You may remember her story. Her story was she was rescued in March of 2015. And eight years later, the rescue workers and the police officers were still reflecting on What took place? Baby Lily was found in the Spanish River, the Utah's Spanish Fork River. She was 18 months old and she was upside down in her car seat for 14 hours with cold water of the river running through her car. Her mother was dead. When rescue workers saw the car, they heard This is the rescue workers' story. We heard an adult female voice that said, Help me. It was as clear as day. It was almost like a calming voice, but urgent, said police officer Tyler Beddows. In my mind, in my heart, I thought, I don't know what's calling out to us. There's nobody else around. It wasn't the baby. The mother was dead. And reporters said, They couldn't get away from using the word. It was literally a miracle that we heard this voice and that this little girl was rescued. What's your point, Pastor Kirk? Jesus has given us a mission today and he moves the mission from being abstract to people, to one with people's names, with names. Names like Pete and Tommy and Abigail and Elizabeth. It moves from something being abstract that's like, oh, I got to live on mission, to someone who's on your heart. Jesus' little brother was Jude. That's actually Jesus' little brother. And he uses this phrase, and he uses this verse in Jude 23. He says, snatch them from rescuing them from fire save Pete, rescue Tammy. Listen to the voice from heaven that says, help me. Save me. C.S. Lewis, I quote from him a lot. Sorry, but I'm going to keep doing it. He said this in the weight of glory. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations. These are mortal. And their life is, is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals to whom we joke with and work with and marry and snub and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean... <coughs> Let me get the next slide here. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play. But our merriment must be of that kind and is in fact the merriest kind which exists between people who have from the outset taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. Last weekend, uh, we were out of town and it was an emotional weekend for my wife's family. Uh, It was the final... um, goodbye at her family farm, west of Beltrami, Minnesota. And it was emotional with all that was going on. Julia's grown up there for over 50 years, and uh, lots of dynamics. And the weekend setting up, we we brought her parents up there. They're at a senior living center. And uh, we were kind of checking them out. And the lady at the front desk, she was just being nice. She had a mask on, the senior living. And she looked at me and she said, well, are you living the dream? Are you living the dream? And I've got all these thoughts going on in my head. Am I living the dream? No, I'm not living the dream. My father-in-law is showing definite signs of memory loss, and my mother-in-law, my sweet mother-in-law, is getting confused. We have to say goodbye to my sweet family's home 50, my sweet wife's family home of 55 years, and her siblings are dealing it with different ways, and there's that dynamic. Plus, I just slept on a couch for three days, and I'm gonna avoid a storm driving back to Eau Claire, that's 350 miles away, and I think my favorite team's gonna lay an egg with the Packers, okay? <laughs> I'm not living the dream! And I responded to her and I said, you know what? God has given me his grace. And I'm living in that. Yeah, everyone has a story. So I'm going to conclude this way. Before our eyes this past week on Monday Night Football, a young professional athlete by the name of Damar Hamlin of the Buffalo Bills had a cardiac arrest on a normal play. It shook the country. It really shocked the country. My sweet wife, she doesn't follow sports, she came out. She said to me, did you hear about the young man who almost died? His life was saved by quick medical personnel and they conducted CPR. And by the grace of God, through the prayers and the expert care of those in the Cincinnati medical community, he's alive. He's still in critical care. Uh, he doesn't have breathing tubes. Maybe you heard the story that when he came to and he could, he could speak, he asked the doctor, who won the game? And maybe you heard this. The doctor said, you did. The game of life. Uh, he addressed his teammates on Friday. He's now talking on his own. God spared his life and we rejoice with this young man, Damar, his family, certainly his teammates. And what I've, been able to read about him. It sounds like he's a really, really neat young man. He's certainly loved by his home community. What's your point? Life is fragile, isn't it? And life is short, isn't it? The scriptures say very clearly in the book of Hebrews that we spent much time in last year. It's appointed for people to die once. And after this comes the judgment. We're not reincarnated. We don't get a second chance. We don't get redos. We have one life, and it doesn't always go that way. It doesn't always go that way. On January 5th, 1996, Richard Versal, a tenor with the New York Metropolitan Opera, was performing in the Macroplius Case, a famous opera. As part of the opening scene, he climbed up a ladder and he sang the words, you can only live so long, and he suddenly fell from the ladder. Tragically, the singer died of a heart attack. He didn't realize those were his last words. So, what do I do with this message? What do I do with this series? Take some baby steps. Get the book. Follow along. Attend our J-Term classes. It starts here at 9.40, or if you have families, the Family Journey will interact with Much of the material as well, too. And then go in your neighborhood. Go in your neighborhood and walk and pray and look and obey. Our friends from the Navigators have done a great job called Praying Through Your Neighborhood. There's hard copies at the Welcome Center. If you're watching this online or listening online, listening to the radio, um, you can just Google it and you'll find it. May the Lord release His church, the beloved church called Bethesda join him on mission. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing our last song.